Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn to Romans uh, chapter 8? And uh, we're, we're going to look at this. Uh, all the chapters in, in God's Word are, are great chapters. And there's something wonderful about uh, chapter 8. And uh, we give the Lord thanks for the truth that's in it. And we just want to set the context of the writing of the book. And then we'll come to chapter 8. And this is very much... Uh, if, if you like a, a bird's eye view of the chapter, because it it warrants a, certainly a, a study verse by verse, nearly line by line, because there is so much uh, meat in the in the chapter. But tonight, I just felt to do an overview of this chapter to encourage us and to look at it. Now, just in the context, before we come to read in chapter eight, we're going to flick back a few uh, chapters. Um, just to put the context for you, uh, what's happening at this time. This is uh, around uh, AD 57 uh, that Paul would write this letter to the church uh, at Rome, to the believers there. Paul hadn't, hadn't visited Rome to this point. He had intended to come. He desired to come. And uh, he hadn't yet come to the church there in a physical, but he was writing a letter to them uh, because at this particular moment in time, there was... Uh, issues that were arising in the church and uh, Jews were being saved, being brought to Christ and Gentiles were being saved and brought to Christ and they were coming together. There was conflict concerning the covenant promises, God's covenant with Israel. Paul later on deals with that when you get up to chapters 9, 10 and 11. There was issues also arising in the church of the gospel that Paul was preaching or what what type of gospel was he preaching? There was concerns about the gospel uh, that was that some were saying that he was preaching, and Paul was uh, very much starting to lay out the, the the truth of what he preaches. Now he's been preaching. We reckon he's been saved over twenty years at this time, so he's been preaching. He's been on the road. He's been he's been preaching the gospel in the highways and the byways. He's been persecuted. He's been. Uh, he's been thrown out of places. God has raised him up, and he's seen many things in those 20 years. And and now there's some things that are being said about the gospel that he preaches. And he opens up then in the chapter. If you go right back in the uh, Romans chapter one in his opening address, uh, when we see that he brings greetings, he introduces himself that he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called to be an apostle. He's separated under the gospel of the Lord, and he begins to go through to present to him, by the grace of God, his apostleship and his separation onto the gospel. And he thanks them, he encourages them, he informs them of his prayers, he acknowledges their faith that is known. And then he begins to move down, and you come to this writing of Paul in one, uh, one uh, first Romans, and then we know these verses. So now you get the context of why he's writing the way he is. In verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, what does he say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. So Paul set the order in place, and he said, this is the gospel that I'm not ashamed of, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by, what? Faith. And so he brings to the fore 
concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in the next few chapters, Paul is going to focus on Abraham as the father of the faith and how we are to live our lives by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that's the emphasis of the next few chapters as he's heading towards and building up to chapter 8. We also see that Paul brings this message, if you turn just over to chapter 5, you'll note there that he begins to, to, to see the merits of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And we see there we're justified by faith through the merits of the cross and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is our justification. And that is one of the great fundamentals of the Christian faith that we're justified before a holy God. It's good to be justified tonight. That's, that's nothing on what we have done or earned. It is all in what He has done for us. And we are justified by faith alone in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on what He's done for us. So we stand legally before the Lord Jesus Christ, before a holy God, justified as though we had never sinned. That's how God views us tonight through His Son, Jesus Christ. We stand justified. And that's an important fundamental in our lives. It's, a, it's one of those anchors that we always must hold on to. That we are justified not by what we have done, but by what He has done. And by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're washed and the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is upon us. So he opens in chapter 5, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it's just a wonderful uh, chapter again, chapter 5, as he begins to bring the benefits of what it is to be justified uh, by faith. And as Christ is the very center and the basis of our faith and our salvation. And then he begins to bring forth uh, some wonderful truths again concerning our position as being justified in Christ. And he gets into chapter 6. He, he, he reckons then that we are dead to sin so in chapter 6, it opens with, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Christ? Jesus Christ were baptized into death. Then he brings that great verse out, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, like that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... We're going to walk in the newness of life. He's come to give us life. And so when we are born again, we're baptized into the death of Christ. We're buried with Him. And praise the Lord, we are risen with Him. And that's, the, that's again all the work of what Christ has done. But we are the benefactors of what He has done through faith. And so we experience this death to sin. And we are alive to Christ. So we're dead we're dead with him, but we're risen with him. And that's the newness of life uh, through this wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're alive in him. And then he brings out a, a chapter which is, you know, he's so honest and so open about his own life and his own uh, struggle between that which is the old 
and what that which is the new, that every believer will have an inward battle. Is that right? Would you say amen if you know what Paul had it? Don't, you know, and we all will have it. We have a battle between two natures. And that's that new nature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that old man, that, that flesh. And so he begins to bring a great message forth about the life of a Christian, that, that we will experience these battles between that old man and that new man, and how we can live in the victory, and how we can overcome the flesh, and how we can overcome sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God wants us to live in the victory. He wants us to walk in the victory. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to live in a place of freedom and liberty with Him. The old man doesn't want that. And so that old man's going to wrestle against us. And there's a struggle. So Paul begins to talk about an inward battle and an inward struggle that he himself tells us very clearly about the, the working of the law and the working of life that's in him. And you get down to verse 24 in chapter 7. This sets the context then of, of chapter 8 for us. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. That's the old man he's talking about. Oh, wretched man that I am. Has anyone ever, maybe not in those words, but just looking at yourself, said, Oh, wretched man that I am. We maybe not use those terms, but we might say in, in, in Ulster, we might say, I'm sick of myself, or I'm tired of myself, or, and that's the language we would use. And so Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? We're carrying a body of death, of sin and defeat. That's all the flesh, that independent mind that, that has brought the fall, that Adam took and brought us and plunged us in. But there's a life within us. And that's an inward battle that every Christian will experience. But there is victory in Jesus. Amen. There is life that God wants us to walk in the newness of life and in the victory that he has for us. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death. And then he says, verse 25 in chapter 7, this sets the context for us coming in uh, to chapter 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is it through? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he's about to enter in to this chapter, chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in this chapter. Now, there is, in the King James Version, there's 39 verses. There's 903 words in, in, this, in this chapter. And I want to talk about, just if you have read it, you'll, you'll, you'll note if, you, if anyone ever sends you a letter or sends you something and you're reading through it, the essence of the letter will be by the words that are used in the letter, you'll be able to get a picture of what they're trying to say to you. So sometimes words will be repeated over and over and over. And then if you pick those words out, you know when there's something there that they're pointing out to us and there's something here that they're pointing out to us. Now, in this chapter, you'll find that 12 times the word flesh is mentioned. The word flesh. So that's talking about that old man You'll also find that five times the law is mentioned. And you'll also find that five times sin or sinfulness is mentioned. So in the chapter, 
there's something here that Paul's bringing forth about the flesh, the law, and sin, and death, and condemnation. And he's trying to bring this out in this particular chapter. Also in the chapter, you'll find that God is mentioned 17 times as God, the Father. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned 10 times. And then we see also in this chapter that the Holy Spirit is mentioned, a capital S, Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times. So now we see there's two, there's two things happening in the chapter. We see law, sin, death, and the flesh. We see God, Jesus, the Spirit, and we see life. And so in this whole chapter, this is, it runs in parallels really. We see that God's saying there is a place for us, there is a walk for us to live in the victory that Christ has gained for us through the cross. And the law will have an effect and bring us into condemnation. But Jesus' purpose is not to bring us, remember, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Or that word means delivered to walk in that deliverance. And so we open this chapter then, chapter 8, and we're, I'm going to read through just, uh, just slowly if, if I can, the whole chapter, hopefully not be too long, but just to go through it and, and to pick up on, 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 the, on what we've said already. So when it says there is therefore, the word therefore, the context is because of what we have just said, because what Paul has already said. So then in the light of that, he's going to bring forth some truth that we need, that he wants us to get a hold of. There is therefore now, maybe you could read uh, the first uh, two verses with me aloud. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There you see the two laws. And we in Christ, this is, this is the truth tonight. In Christ, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is the wonderful truth. If you're saved and you're in Christ tonight, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ. You have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says, now, you have to walk. You have to live this life. You have to do it every day. You have to come into contact with people. You have to go through troubles, trials, problems, difficulties. All these things are going to happen to us. And there's laws that are working. And there's, there is one law that's working to pull us into a place of defeat, a place of condemnation, a place where we lose our joy, where we lose our peace. And there is another place. There's another walk. There's a walk that's in the Spirit. And, and the Lord has purposed us, and Paul pleads with us that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're to walk in the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. And so this is the great truth of not just when we are saved, but when we begin to live this life every day, that He makes us free, that He keeps us free as we walk in the Spirit. Because once we know, once we veer off that path of that life, what do we feel straight away? We feel the emptiness and the, the sense of, 
of loss, of our peace, our joy, or our hope. And so there's a walk in the Spirit for what the law could not do. Verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So the law was weakened, but thank God that He sent His Son What the law was doing was condemning us and bringing us into a place of defeat, death, and ultimately a lost Christless eternity. So God sent His Son. Praise the Lord. That's the hope of the gospel. God gave us His Son that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You're going to find this nearly in every couple of verses the whole way through this chapter Paul's bringing out that there's two walks here. There's two ways that you can live this life. Remember, chapter 5, he's already dealt with this truth that we're justified by faith in Christ, that we're justified by faith in Christ. So we stand complete in him. We're justified through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we have to live a life. So this is the life that he wants us to live every day. That this then is a progression, not of our justification, but as we walk in the newness of life, our sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the walk in the victory that He has gained for us. This takes every day. This is really what it is to be a disciple. This really is what it is to be a follower of Christ, that we take up our cross, that we deny ourselves, that we begin to walk in this victory that He has for us. Verse 5 says, for they that are after the flesh. Now he's going to talk about something. It talks about the mind here. And most of what happens in our lives and the outworking of it begins up upstairs. And then it works its way out in our, in our actions. So now he talks about the mind. So where you're minded, you know, where you're minded to be, where you're minded to go, where you're minded to focus upon. It says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life. And what else? Life and peace through the Spirit. So here again we're we're confronted with with two ways. Now remember, Paul closed out in chapter 7, I just want you to flick back again before everyone, maybe, or some might feel, oh, I'm struggling here with this here because is this just about me? Paul is saying, look, if you look at verse 19 of chapter 7, what does he say? For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. What's he talking about there? He's talking about a battle in his life. So if you have a battle in this, praise God. That sounds strange, but here's, it's great that there is a battle. Because if there's no battle, then you're not saved. Amen. If there's no battle, then there's no life. Because there has to be a life, because in you there's two natures. Just like those twins in that woman's womb, there was a war that was going on. And in this here we see then that Paul is saying, here's a battle that goes on, but the mind is important. What you fixate your mind upon is not what you'll become you'll begin to go after that. And so he says, for to be carnally minded. Remember, he pleaded with the church at Corinth that were carnal. He pleaded with them to to move into that which was the spiritual, which was the meat. But to be carnally minded is death. 
but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So we see then the carnal mind, what does it produce? It produces a death. It produces a death, a defeat. And so the plead is that we have our minds renewed, just like Christ, by the renewing of our mind. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Why are you in the Spirit? Because you've been born of the Spirit. So the life of God is in you. So, so if, you, if you're here today and in your thought and in your mind, but I cannot do that, that's a lie from the enemy. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, we're in the Spirit. And if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So when you're born of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwells in us. And we're in the Spirit, but we have a choice that we choose life, we choose the cross, we choose Him, and we walk in that victory, we walk in the Spirit, or in our minds, our minds are constantly wanting that old man. Remember Paul talked about the struggle. That old man wants us to veer off and do the things that we find. We don't want to do those things. Why? Because there's a life. Not because there's a law, because we love the Lord and we want to serve Him. And so we see this battle that takes place. Then it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him, this is an awesome verse, but if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit dwells in you. Isn't that an awesome thing? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What an awesome truth tonight. If that truth alone could grasp us and, 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 and awaken us all, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me tonight. That is just an awesome thought. What would happen? He that raised Christ from the dead shall quicken. What, what, what will happen? He'll quicken your mortal bodies. So what happens there is, I know that Wednesdays can be a tiring nights midweek. The season's changing. It's windy. It's got cooler. And, and maybe it's been a long and it's been a hard day or a hard few days. But the Spirit of God, regardless of all of that, we all have a mortal body. But the Spirit of the Lord that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in us shall also quicken your mortal bodies by what? By the Spirit that dwells within you. So God, the Holy Spirit, in your heart, in my life, in your life tonight, we're tired, we're weary, we're, we have all the things of life going on, families and struggles and, and, and all the things that demand our attention. But the Holy Ghost is in us. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would quicken our mortal beings. That, would, that simply means that He'd make us alive. In other words, he would just breathe upon this congregation and everyone that's saved would suddenly be quickened by the power of the Holy Ghost and their mortal being would react. It would react. Amen. We're not just dead, but we're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then, you'll find as we come through this here, verses 12 to 17, then 
Paul connects the previous 11 verses just like he connected them to chapter 7. We know there was no chapters and verses in the original, but here then he writes, Remember the Spirit of the Lord that dwells within us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Then this word therefore comes up again. What he's saying is because of this, brothers and sisters, because of this, because the Spirit of the Lord dwells in you, because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave dwells in your heart, then he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, or to live after the flesh. In other words, that flesh that we once, we had no restraint on that flesh before we were saved. We lived the way we wanted to live. We'd done what we wanted to do. We just went into sin. We'd done all the things. We lived our way. But now as we're saved, we're born of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit dwells within us. We're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. Why? Because, he says in verse 13, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. What does the flesh produce? It produces death. It brings defeat and it brings death every time. But if you, through the Spirit, now he's bringing us to this, the reality of the cross working in our lives by the grace of God, not, not, by, not by law, but by the grace of God, then he says, and brothers and sisters, this is, these are one of the keys for us, for all of us to live that life of victory. If through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, what happens? You're going to live. You see what happens? So mortify or boot to death those things of the flesh. Now the flesh doesn't like to die. Nobody's flesh does. No matter what way it looks, what way it sounds, the flesh is the flesh. It's all the same. We all have the same flesh. It's rotten. And so here we're told that there is a life that we live by the Spirit. For as many then, verse 14, are led by the Spirit of God. Listen, this is what they are. They are the sons of God. Isn't it wonderful to be a son of God tonight? That includes men and women. Isn't it amazing to be a son of God tonight? For ye have not received the spirit of slavery or bondage, again to fear, but ye have received, this is what you have, the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit is the spirit of adoption that we haven't received the spirit of a bondage into fear and condemnation, but through him tonight, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And then he says, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is what it is to be born again. There is a witness in the Spirit. You know it's a living reality. You may not be able to explain it all. That's okay. And you may not have all the theological terms. And you may not have all the great doctrines and all the revelations of everything that what we are taught. But there's a witness in your spirit that that man or that woman has been born again. And the evidence of that, the evidence of that is the fruit that's in that life. That takes maybe some time. 
but there is a change in that life through the miracle of the new birth. And that's the power of the gospel. That's what Paul began with. This is the gospel. It changes a life. The day that the gospel doesn't change lives, it's not the gospel. Even if it's crowds and thousands and everything else that are flocking to it, if lives aren't changed, then that is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God. It changes life. Did it change your life? Has your life changed by the gospel? So here's the power of the Spirit of God working. So he says the Spirit will bear witness with us, and if the children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, we are joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. So now we see the truth of what Christ has attained for us through the cross to be joint heirs with Christ, heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs. Now then, Paul suddenly brings us from this scene of time to a future glory. He brings us out of the realm of the struggles, the battles, the laws that are working, the life that we're living every day. And now he brings us suddenly into a realm that's just before us. And this realm could happen in an instant. This realm could happen before this night's over that we could be ushered from the present scene that we are in into this glory that Paul is about to bring to the church. Verse 18, he says, For I reckon... So here he wants us that... that In the Greek there, that simply means I want you to take... You know, like if you take stock or you take infantry or if you're, if you're counting... He wants you to be so diligent to focus on, to take stock of what he's about to say. I reckon that the suffering, sufferings of this present time, and everyone suffers to a certain extent, but now he says, I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's talking now about a future glory, a glory that's going to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by the reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, I wonder, do you know this? That the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together right to this moment. And that the whole of creation right now, and more than ever before, more than when Paul put pen to paper on this, more than ever before, because our salvation is near today, the whole of creation is groaning and travailing in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, the remnant across this world have a witness that the Lord's about to come. There's a witness in our spirit that this glory is about to be revealed. We have a sense that we're in a day that 
things are moving so quick, so fast, but we have a sense of this one thing, that the Lord is about to appear in glory for us and to come for his bride. And so he says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So we're going to get a new body in an instant. We're going to be instantly changed. Listen, I don't know how all that works. I just believe it does. And I know it will, that we'll be instantly changed as Christ comes in the earth. We're told clearly the dead in Christ will rise first and then we that shall remain shall be. What happens? We're caught up to meet him in the air, suddenly we will all be instantly changed. This corruption, this body that we have been battling with and the struggles that we have gone through, suddenly, instantaneously, gloriously, miraculously, and wonderfully we'll be changed and we will receive a a, a body that cannot be corrupted, immortal, and we will be like him, glorified like him. For we are saved by hope, but hope that that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And one day, you know, just wait for it. It is coming. He is coming. Just wait for it. Then our faith will give way to sight and we will see him. Then he says, he takes us to the future glory and then he brings us back with the word likewise. In other words, the same spirit that's going to gather us, change us, and present us to Jesus who has done all the work for us. At this present time then, likewise, this is what the spirit is doing. The spirit also helps our infirmities. So you're in the struggles, you're in the battles, you're in the trials. The same spirit that's going to bring us up to reveal the glory in us and to us, and glorify us to be like him, the Spirit presently tonight and every moment. He's our helper. He hasn't left us without a comforter. And so he says, he will help our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, what does he do? He maketh intercession for us with groanings. Now the Spirit does this with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Every child of God, this is so important, you're not on your own. You're not paddling your own canoe. You're not out there just somewhere trying to make it through yourself. The Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf with groanings that cannot be uttered. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And the he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now verse 28, would you read it with me? Because you know it all well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Remember the Spirit is intercession, is interceding for the saints according to What? The will of God. His will. His way. His plan. His purpose. And we know then that everything will work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to the purpose of God. 
So the Spirit's working to bring us into the purpose and the will of God because everything in the will of God works for good and for his glory. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. The purpose of God is to make everyone that's saved is to make every one of us to be like Jesus. There is one common goal, and it's the same purpose and plan for everyone that's saved to conform us into the image of his Son. We want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Is that your purpose? Allowing the Spirit to work in your life? And so to be conformed to the image of Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also, he's going to glorify us one day. He's going to glorify us one day. That is a work. Brothers and sisters, when this world sees the Lord coming in the skies in all his glory and all his majesty and all his splendor with 10,000 of his saints and the skies are lit up by the power of his majesty and his glory. And we that are on this planet are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will be glorified. What a miracle that will happen across the whole globe from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. We will be glorified and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So then he closes with a question. The, the close of all of this is a question and it's a question that he answers. What shall we say then to these things? What's your I suppose if I stopped there and asked you the question, what would you say to these things? If you're, still, if you're still alive tonight, if you're still awake, what would you say to these things? What would be your response? Or what is your response to what, what Paul has just revealed to us? And then Paul says, look, I'll, I'll give you the answer. And then this is what he says. And I wonder if we could read uh, just after that question of God before us. But if we could read this, and then we'll read it right through all together right to the end of the chapter, chapter of the verse 39, if we could all read it together tonight. Maybe we could stand to read this, these last few verses. I'm going to ask uh, David and Jonathan to come just as, as we're reading this. Maybe Johnny and David, you just come just ready to... We're going to worship him tonight and praise him, but let's read this together tonight. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. 
we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would somebody say amen if you believe that tonight? We're going to worship the Lord. Amen. And pray that the Lord would help us tonight as we've come to his word and bring the great truth that's in his word tonight and make it a revelation to your hearts tonight. Amen.